welcome back to another episode of the Carter Cast. Today, Connor Sparrow joins the pod, and he'll be on for the majority of these going forward. But today is a very special one. We have the Goatmentator himself on, Bo Estes. We get into everything with Bo, from his famous NBA Top 10s, talking about Hubert Davis starting at UNC, also the sports business classroom, talking about the NBL in Australia, and a ton more. But before we get into our interview with Bo Estes, we are brought to you by PodTalk. PodTalk is the best way to listen to podcasts. It has the best interface compared to all other podcast listening apps out there. I use it myself. It's great. You can use the group discussions feature to talk about your favorite podcasts like this one. Go join the CarterCast group discussion page on PodTalk right now. Download PodTalk in the App Store today. Now our interview with Bo Estes. All right, we now welcome on the Goatmentator himself, Bo Estes. Bo, how you doing? I'm good, man. It seems like that name's going to follow me around the planet until I die, right? <laughs> yeah, it seems like it. So just tell us, how'd you end up with the Goatmentator? Um, it certainly wasn't me. Uh, it was, I, I've been doing these uh, NBA highlights. Jeez, it must be more than 10 years now. And three or four years in, the top 10 really hit at some point on YouTube and through the, the folks at NBA Reddit. And uh, I didn't really know it. One of our producers dragged, dragged up the comments and showed us. And it was shortly thereafter that that name, uh, the Goatmentator, sort of arrived. And it just stuck with me. And literally in promos, uh, when I do stuff, that's the name they introduced me with. So Look, I'm not going to fight it. It's it's flattering. So <laughs> as long as as long as it's not something like Worstmentator or something like that, I'll take yeah. it. So to follow up on that a little bit, when did you decide to embrace it? Because I noticed it's in your Twitter bio right now, and so you seem to have pretty like you caught on to it pretty well. Yeah, um, it's weird because the whole story of it, the background of it, was basically the way I call highlights and the way I say top 10 is based in the fact that we had bad, bad editing software <laughs> at the NBA. And so yeah. like, I couldn't record past the end of the video. Like they couldn't record my voice. It would just shut down. So I knew I had to say things really fast at the very end. So the way I said top 10 and the way I said it really fast caught on. Uh, and then once it started, like you, like you said, it once it sort of took off, I figured why bother trying to push back against it. And yeah. uh, it, it became a thing. And, and really it's, it's been wonderful for my career. Now I'm, I'm working in Australia. I'm doing stuff for specific teams. There's, there's a person that touched with me last night that wants me to do uh, top tens and they don't want me to call it. Like I call, you know, game one of the Bucks Suns. They want me to call it like I call the NBA top 10. So yeah, why not embrace it at this point? So how did okay. you end up as the voice of the NBA.com top 10? Uh, so what happened was I've been with Turner Sports since the mid-90s. And simultaneously at the same time as I – so when you break in, I was I broke in as a production assistant, and I was, like, editing the highlights that later I would end up calling. Um, and so in a, on a parallel track, I was, like, the local high school guy. And I was the high school reporter, and I was doing all the high school stuff. And, you know, I went up to CBS doing that. And so it's at one point, Turner let me audition for the Braves job, the host on TBS. And uh, myself and somebody you may have heard of, Aaron Andrews, won that job. 
Uh, so, you know, I, I sort of jumped onto the Turner Sports on-air crew. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I, I went over to Fox Sports and then came back to Turner Sports. And, you know, when the NBA came along in, in, in the form of the NBA.com and NBA TV, it was just perfect for me uh, because I love the NBA uh, and I always wanted to be a part of the NBA. And I was for a long time with, you know, frankly, continuously with Turner Sports all the way throughout my career. And, and this is just merged wonderfully with the skills and the love that I have. So, you're talking about the NBA.com top 10. I also noticed you you mentioned Australia. You do the NBL, correct? I do. I do. And that's been an absolute wonderful wrinkle and, and outgrowth of this NBA stuff. I, I I can't encourage people enough to follow the NBL. It's it's such a fun league. If you like sort of the, the spirit and passion of college basketball, it's that sort of an atmosphere in these pro games down there. And the players are really good. I mean, every year, uh, another guy from the NBL is popping up on an NBA roster and doing well. Jay Sean Tate this year did really well. Uh, Cam Oliver even came over at the end of the season for the Houston Rockets and, and played well. And these are the stars of the NBL. And now what's funny is now front office personnel, get in touch with me and say, who's good down in the NBL? <laughs> True story. They're asking me like, who should wow. I be talking to? Yeah. So uh, you can watch it live on Twitch. The problem is we live in the United States, right? I was about to and say, so yeah. Yeah. You're catching it at four in the morning or something. <laughs> if you're on the East coast and two in the morning, if you're sort of mountain time. So the, the timing's a little tough, but for me, you know, when I would finish up a top 10, look, when I finish calling a top 10, I'm not going right to sleep. I am <laughs> wired when I finish one of those things. So the NBL yeah. comes right after that. So I can catch the first half, first three quarters of an NBL game, then go to sleep. It works out perfectly for me, but not everybody's calling a top 10 after the last NBA game. So I understand that. So my big problem with the NBL one is that I'm already waking up at five 30 for a Liverpool game. <laughs> I can't be waking up at 3 a.m. for 24 NBL. hours a day, Carter. 24 <laughs> hours a day. Oh, so you're a Liverpool fan too. Life's yes. been good to you recently, I guess. Yes, very good. It was not good for the first like seven years of being a Liverpool fan until Klopp got there. <laughs> and th there was that one year in 13-14. But you mentioned the NBL. We're huge Hornets fans. So when you saw LaMelo Ball, were you worried like – because the whole draft process, everyone's like, oh, he's lazy. He's all about himself, all this. And what did you think of LaMelo when you saw him in Australia? Um. Honestly, I don't know that I thought he was going to be this good. I thought he'd be very good. I don't know that I thought he'd be this good. His shot improved from the time he was with Illawarra to the time he, he came to the Hornets. That, to me, is for sure. Uh, he, was, he was the best passer that league has seen uh, pretty clearly. Uh, he, look, I first saw LaMelo Ball. The first time I caught a glimpse of him was I watched Lonzo Ball's senior year championship highlights at Chino Hills and LaMelo ball was a freshman on that team and he was tiny mm. and he was skinny and he was not scared of the moment at all. He absolutely rose to that moment and he, he really had an impact on that game in a huge way. So I knew that this kid had it mentally at that point to, to stand on the big stage 
And it just, it just depended on, you know, how his physical tools would play out. Cause he was six foot at the time. Now he's taller mm-hmm. than any of the ball brothers and he's got more talent than any of the ball brothers. And he's just this wonderful uh, sort of, I, well, I'll tell you the truth. I had a former NBA coach tell me in the last six months that he thought LaMelo ball would be the face of the NBA in five years. That's how talented he thinks. I he love is. to hear that as a Hornets fan. Love to hear that. I mean, he's just, he's just absolutely wonderfully gifted. And I tell you what, there's a kid coming this year named Josh Giddy, uh, who I think is, he's got similar skills. He really does. He's got similar skills. He doesn't, I don't think he has the speed of LaMelo. Uh, LaMelo in a fast break is really something. And as good a passer as Josh Giddy is, I don't know that he's quite as good as LaMelo, but look, if you get, if your favorite team gets their hands on Josh Giddy, you're getting something really, really special. So banking off the NBL still, I saw Andrew Bogut won MVP a couple years ago, correct? I think he did. That's correct. And so is that a testament to – he wouldn't be in the NBA MVP conversation at all. So is what's the quality no. of like in the, NBA, in the NBL compared to the NBA? So I would I, – here's what I would say. I think this year's winner is Melbourne United. Uh, they're, they're the champions in the NBL. I think they would win the college national championship. I think okay. Melbourne would win the NCAA title. Uh, I don't think they would compete in the NBA very well. And that's, that's no cut on Melbourne United. That's just the, the level of competition in the NBA. Now, Melbourne United does have a guy named Chris Golding who could play in the NBA tonight and score 13, 14 points a game. Uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful, masterful shooter. He's 6'4". It's a big jump shot he can hit it with hands anytime he wants problem is i think chris is 31 32 years old my honest opinion is the nba just missed on him it's it's not chris's fault it's the nba's fault and the front office's fault they just missed on a guy that could have contributed in the nba and now he's 31 32 years old so what's the investment like to go and get this guy if you're if you're a team that's borderline contender and you needed shooting for the end of the season sure sign him but nobody's going to invest in that guy at this point uh but the competition's really good. The, the best players in the NBL can easily walk onto an NBA roster and contribute. You know, I'm not saying be a star. I'm just yeah. saying contribute in a seventh, eighth man role for sure. And some even better than that, as you saw with Jay Sean Tate, who honestly was not a superstar in the NBL. He was very good, not a superstar. And he comes over to Houston and he's an important contributor for their team. So I, I, I just think, also, the NBA has some certain requirements that the NBL, you know, like the game's just a little bit different. Uh, so Jay Sean fit in the NBA better than he did in the NBL. And I think going back to what you said earlier, I think maybe that's true with LaMelo as well. So with Jay Sean Tate being on that Houston team that was clearly tanking, how many of those guys do you think could have done what Jay Sean Tate does? Like there's a bunch of G League guys that I feel like could score 20 points on the Houston Rockets this year. You know what? That's, it's, no, it's, that's no disrespect. No, no, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. And look, I think there's a lot of talent around the world. There really mm-hmm. is. And so, like, if you're on a team that is clearly not trying to win the NBA championship right now and experimenting with younger talent, there's a lot of guys that can come in and score. Um, the dominant player in the NBL is Bryce Cotton. Bryce Cotton can walk into the NBA and score 15 points a night. Can he guard anybody? I don't know. But he could easily, easily score 15 points a night in the NBA, and it wouldn't be a challenge for him. He's that good of a player. Um, so, yeah, and look, there's, you know, with the G League Ignite guys now, Jalen Green, 
I think Cade Cunningham's going to be the best player in this draft. I'm not positive. It may be Jalen Green has the most athletic talent of anybody in this draft. Uh, and he's a superstar with, you know, what he can do. Uh, it's just, you know, there's, there's talent in the G league. There's really mm-hmm. talent in the G league. There's talent. There's talent in the European leagues. There's a lot of guys. Look, you, you put four or five more NBA teams out there in expansion. You, you could populate them with people from around the world and, and put competitive teams out there. Do you think the NBA will expand soon? I do. I don't know if it's soon. And again, the finances with, with COVID sort of got everything off track and out of whack and the timelines, I think sort of got messed up. I think there's, there's interest in it. Sure. Uh, because uh, look, we, there's some lost revenue that you can make up for with the franchise fee. Uh, and then that team gets local cable rights, whatever that's worth now. And I think it's still worth a lot. So I think, yeah. And I think, you know, I think the city everybody looks to, I'm sure you guys can guess it is Seattle. Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seattle had a great NBA franchise. It's a great basketball environment. Jamal Crawford does wonderful stuff up there, keeping basketball alive in Seattle. Uh, so I, I'd love to see a return of the supersonics. I would absolutely love it. Uh, and I think, I think it could happen. I just think, you know, again, to me, the timing of everything is sort of thrown off by COVID. So uh, if, if, if things get back on track, two, three years from now. Sure. I can say it. So you mentioned the G league ignite and the G league players like that. Do you see more players skipping college and taking an alternative route like Lamelo did or Jalen green? Yes, absolutely. I think that's viable. And I think in some ways the NCAA conceding on uh, image rights is, is an answer to that. I, I don't think it's the whole story, but I think in some ways, yeah, because like, mm-hmm. look, if you're losing let's say that Zion chose not to come and Zion chose to go play for a half million bucks plus get all his marketing money and everything like that, or go to the NBL, uh, which is, I, I also think is a great option and, and make a ton of money. All that stuff works. Uh, so why would these players ever, ever, ever not at least consider it? Uh, I think the situation with Zion at Duke worked out really well because Duke's a national program. Duke's on TV every Keep night. going. Keep Duke, going. Yeah, yeah. Duke <laughs> makes, you know, Duke's only shortfall is that they're in the shadow of that program that had Michael Jordan right up the street. And so they have to exactly. live with the fact that they didn't have Michael Jordan. So, I mean, look, I, th- I think it's pretty good. For, if, you're, if, if you're Zion Williamson, the marketing that you got at Duke, do you make that up if you if you go to the G League at night? Because he's not on TV every night. He's not, you know, he's not seen by millions of fans every night. It, it not every player is Zion. Let's let's admit that. I'm a Carolina fan, and I, not every player is Zion. It's just not the case. But for Zion Williamson, I think going to Duke worked out wonderfully for him. So with those the NIL stuff, there's kind of like, would you rather be the third guy on Duke that can make endorsement deals in North Carolina and stuff? Or just play on a random, a play on the end of the bench of the Greensboro Swarm. That's where, like, it's- I'd rather be on, on Duke, Duke for yeah. sure, because because here's here's my point in that. If you're the third guy on Duke, right, you may not be. So even on that Duke team, there was Zion, there was RJ Barrett. These guys are one and done, right? But if you're the third guy, maybe you get some time to develop under Coach K. There's not that pressure of a, a G League uh, team looking at you in the first year and going, "This guy just can't compete." If you're at Duke, you have time to develop and grow as a player in year two and year three, and then you become known a little bit. So you're doing a little bit better with your image and likeness rights. And then you grow into a player player. And 
look, there are players that after one year would have Cam Johnson with the Phoenix Suns. He goes to Pitt three years. He's a he's a he's a nice player. He's a nice shooter. Comes to Carolina two more years. I mean, this guy becomes a first round draft pick, a lottery pick, and he's an important player off the bench for the Phoenix Suns. I think there's value in that time and that comfort you get with, with investing in a program and growing as a player. It's not for everybody. It's not for Zion Williamson long, uh, but, but for a guy like Cam Johnson who became a lottery pick because he was able to invest that time, I think it's worth it. So speaking of Cam Johnson, that's a pretty good transition. Um, good. You were, you were one of the people that were pretty high on Cam Johnson on draft night, weren't you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, and I'll tell you this, I talked to, a former GM, a current assistant GM, uh, about Cam leading up to the draft, and the words were, "I I love him from both both sides." Everybody loved him. Uh, now the thing is, you guys, I'm sure both recognize how much the NBA has changed in the last five, six, seven years, and it's just changing so fast to more of a three point shooting game. Cam came along when his skills fit the NBA's needs. His timing has been perfect. Is Cam Johnson that valuable in a 1998 NBA? I don't know. I don't know because they're not letting him shoot that many threes. They're mm-hmm. not letting him do, be a specialist. Uh, you probably had to be more of an athletic dunking wing at that point. Uh, and that's not Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson has developed himself to be, look, he, he's an elite shooter to me already in the NBA. The day he walked into the NBA, he was one of the best shooters in the league to me. Uh, his numbers this year didn't bear that out in the regular season, in the postseason when it matters, though, that's being borne out as far as I'm concerned. Um, but if, if you watch some of the clips you've seen on Twitter, he's defending Giannis in, in stretches as well. He's doing stuff like that. And the fact that he's 6'9", man, that's, that helps. That really does help. And the, he can just shoot. I'm I'm six two, right? And you know, if I play at a gym when I was much much younger, uh, <laughs> if I played at a gym and a five ten guy was guarding me, I didn't care if I'm shooting a jump shot. I don't care if he's guarding me. I'm shooting right over the top. Mm-hmm. Now he's six foot nine, and if a six foot five guy comes up to him, he doesn't care. So right. Cam's got some real advantages, uh, and, and he's going to be a valuable player in this league for years to come. As long as he stays healthy and as long as he continues to defend, he's going to have a nice long NBA career. Okay, so with people drafting in the top ten, like the one person I can't, I can't wrap my mind around, even though he's a Duke guy, Jalen Johnson makes no sense why he's in the top ten of drafts. I understand he's got, he can handle the ball, he can defend, he can do all that. If you can't shoot in this league, what's the point? It's a challenge, right? Uh, He'll never be able to shoot. He's got that weird hitch in his shot, but there's no confidence, it seems like. Okay, now let's – this is where I'm interested, Carter, in what you said, because we take a player as what he is right now, right? And there are some questions about it, and I'll give you that all day long. And then I look at the video I just saw from Lonzo Ball, who has changed his shot completely. And that credit, there's a couple of people that deserve credit, but nobody more than Lonzo Ball for being comfortable enough to recognize a flaw in his game. He's he, what was he the number two pick in the draft? He's a he's a, a multimillionaire. He's on an NBA stage, and he said, "This is not working. I have to recognize the landscape of the NBA, and I have to change who I am." To be humble enough to do that. Is, is maybe Carter in your defense, that's special, that's unique, mm-hmm. that's not everybody. So uh, let's think of the NBA star that has to do that right now, Ben Simmons. 
Ben Simmons has to go through that process. I, I sort of jokingly tweet out every once in a while that the guy that deserves $30 million a year is the, is the undiscovered shooting coach who can take Ben Simmons from 5% from three and make him 35% from three. There's nothing more valuable that any coach in the NBA at any level, any GM, any president can do than take Ben Simmons from five to 35. If you're the guy that can do that, you deserve more money than anybody. Now, again, this requires being humble enough to say, I've got a problem and I've got to work on it. And I, so we'll see what happens with Ben Simmons and we'll see what happens with Jalen. But now there's at least a guy out there that has shown it. Uh, in Lonzo Ball, and there's other guys that have shown it, but Lonzo Ball's shot was messed up when he came. Yeah, and even Giannis oh, has yeah. improved dramatically. Yeah, so I think I think there is there is an avenue to improve yourself. The the, the case that's interesting to me is Markel Fultz. Um, I was mm-hmm. out at uh, I, you know I go out to summer league all the time, and Markel Fultz when he first came to summer league was dominant. His shot was amazing. Then in August something happens. Uh, it's, 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 it's an injury, but it, you know, his shot changed forever and he's a less valuable player and he's had to rework his shot. But I, I think that, that it can be done. And I think Lonzo more than anybody else has proved that it can happen. And LaMelo is making his shots. It's weird looking, but he's making mm-hmm. it. He hasn't done what Lonzo has done and come up with a, a really nice looking form on his shot. He just keeps making what he's got. Uh, so that's a little bit different to me. So it just scares me as a Bobcats fan when we draft Michael Kidd Gilchrist and that just oh. never changes. <laughs> oh, we get there's screwed that picture. out of Anthony Davis. The p- famous got- picture, he's like this. Yes, thank you, Carter. <laughs> that picture is unreal. I don't know how you can project the ball forward from where his arm position is. And and the man, sad part is we the Hornets had Mark Price, probably one of the greatest form shooters yeah. in history, come in and try and fix his shot, and it still didn't work. I yeah, just, and so some of that's mental, right? Like yeah, I is. can't. I've been doing this for years, and this is what got me to the NBA. Um, so, so that's a part of it. And so I don't know Michael Kidd Gilchrist. I don't know where he was in that process. I don't know if he said to himself, "I've got to change," or if he said, "Forget it. This has got me here." Th- those are the those are the questions I'd like to know. But you know you can start from scratch and, and mm-hmm. you know, when they teach you to shoot, you stand one foot from the goal. You, you take the ball like this, you go like this, you shoot it. It's pretty simple, but imagine an NBA player having the humility to do that. That's not everybody. It's not everybody. So you have to have that to be successful. Uh, if you're going to remake your shot. So speaking of the draft, Carter mentioned Kid Gilchrist going second, uh, a little bit about the upcoming draft. I'm a big Carolina guy, obviously. So I wanted to get your opinion. What do you think about Dayron Sharp? Do you think he'll go first round? Do you think it was smart to declare? Fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed. I hope he does. Because I- I'm still of the belief that unless you're guaranteed a first round spot, why not wait around a year? I this agree. is a particularly good draft. Last year was a particularly weak draft. Um, so I, I think, you know, had he come along last year, I think he would have gotten in the first round for sure. Mm-hmm. If he goes second round short term, I think it's a mistake. I do. Now he could be one of those guys. And I, I love Dayron's talent. He could be one of those guys that goes in and really proves himself well and, you know, gets out of his, you know, 
unguaranteed or non-guaranteed rookie deal in a hurry and gets moves up in his contract and it plays out for him, but it's riskier. If mm-hmm. Dayron came back this year for North Carolina, he's a dominant force on that team. He's an absolutely dominant force. Um, and I think, I think he gets himself into a guaranteed first round spot. I really do. And it particularly because of this, I think Hubert Davis is going to stress shooting the ball for everyone in a different way that Roy Williams did. Uh, it made me sick that Roy Williams thought he was not up to the job anymore, but what we learn now is that Hubert Davis is going to change it a little bit at least for sure. And so I think, you know, modernizing the game and stressing those roles for these players that were always banging down low is going to be critical for their development at the next level. And I think Dayron could have benefited from that. But like I said, I just, you know, I, I, gosh, I wish him the best. I hope he gets picked. If he gets picked with the last pick in the first round, I'm thrilled because he's got that guaranteed mm-hmm. money. Wait, how'd you end up as an UNC fan? Yeah, that was my next okay. question. <laughs> okay. So here's the story. I uh, was born in, in like North Georgia, but really South Carolina. My parents drove across the line to the hospital and then uh, moved to Florida, Miami for three years. And then I moved to California for several years. And, and like, I was there when uh, Magic won his first championship with the Lakers, which dates me just a little bit. Um, and then we moved to North Carolina for several years. And that's when I got into basketball. And James Worthy, my childhood idol, for sure. I, you know, Bo picked between Worthy and Jordan. It's Worthy every time. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so I became a North Carolina basketball fan from there, and I, I became, you know, active on Twitter. And somehow, at some point, Inside Carolina hired me to write features. And so I wrote a ton of features on uh, North Carolina basketball players, North Carolina uh, alumni, stuff like that. Uh, and when the magazine went away, I stopped doing that. But I've, I've always been a fan. And I honestly, to this day, if Ben Sherman from inside Carolina calls me and needs some help, I'm glad to help him out because I, I, just, I just really, really, uh, well, I believe in inside Carolina and I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, that program. I'm so, actually, go oh, ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, speaking of inside Carolina, I'm subscribed to those message boards. So it's really cool to see what they write about, but just going off Carolina yeah. basketball, you mentioned Hubert Davis. Do you think him being the new coach was a big part in getting Dawson Garcia to transfer here? Or do you have an opinion on that? Do you think he still would have yeah. come if Roy was here? Maybe, maybe. I but I look. I still think the Carolina brand is the Carolina brand, mm-hmm. so it, it carries a lot of weight. But you know, Hubert is freeing those guys up to shoot threes. He really mm-hmm. is, and Dawson's shown he can hit them. Uh, Dawson Dawson can shoot outside. You know, the the belief was, and I saw Walker Kessler play in high school, and I you know Walker can shoot outside, but I think Dawson's a better outside shooter. Uh, so I. I think Hubert modernizing it, just tinkering with it. I, I'm not talking about an overhaul, just tinkering. I think it helps North Carolina out on the court, and I think it helps them out in recruiting too. So that Roy Williams press conference was brutal. Even as a Duke fan, I felt awful oh. watching that. Yeah. The, oh. the Coach K one was pretty cringy. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, so <laughs> – <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Coach K gets well, a farewell he, he tour. Is going, he's going on his he's farewell yeah, tour. He's going Wade. on his retirement tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is taking the retirement <laughs> tour. And you know, I he, he has that option because of what he's given to the game. But Roy Williams pulled a Dean Smith. He just left. He just absolutely left. But you're right. Like I it bothers me. And I talked to a few Carolina players and stuff like that. 
everyone is bothered that he thinks he wasn't good enough to be that guy. He won a national championship in 2017. It's ridiculous to think that he's not good enough. The the team with Cole Anthony had more injuries than I've ever seen, more bad luck than I've ever seen. There's nothing you can do about that. Uh, The team last year, honestly, it it was good, but it was young. That's none of this is his deal. Uh, If if you put a talented team in front of him, they're going to win games. They're going to go to a final four. They could win a national championship. Part of this, I also believe, is you know he's older now and he wants to spend time with his family. And I hope that in time he views it that way and his decision that way because I so you know I think Carter. My my thought on this is I don't want Duke to be bad. I don't. I want Duke to be good, and I want North Carolina to be good because I want the rivalry to be good. I think the rivalry is good for both programs, and I think it's good for the game. So if Duke is having a nine and twenty four season. It's not great for me. I'd rather, you know, if North mm-hmm. Carolina beats Duke 90 to 60, whatever, you know, I'd rather see them number one and number two in the nation going at it head to head all the time. That's my preference for that rivalry. NC state can stay mediocre. Sure. And they deserve <laughs> to <laughs> all the time. No, you know, especially for the way those fans treat the players. I, you know, good God. But I, the funny thing is I, I think that, you know, I remember in the 80s when NC State was a relevant part of that conversation, and it just fell off. It fell off the hill. I think uh, it was the whole recruiting violation stuff they had with Jimmy V. That, that hurts. Yeah, it hurts. But, like, to think that that program hasn't gotten it back in a real way yet, uh, that's that's pretty tough, man. That's that's pretty tough. I have a big question here. Is Kevin Keats a winner, Bo? <laughs> Wait, is who a winner? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> who is Kevin Keys? <laughs> Kevin Keats, the state coach. Oh, oh, Keats. Keats. <laughs> oh, I thought you said Kevin Keys. Oh, uh, sorry. Man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, like my my thought on that is, you got to prove it to me. I'm not a believer till you prove it to me at that program anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and also, I'll say this. If I was a Wolfpack fan, I'd be bitter too. Because you see the glory that North Carolina, you know, we won three national championships this century. I believe Duke's won three national championships this century. North Carolina State hadn't done anything. They've done nothing, man. So I'd be bitter too. Uh, but you got to prove it to me at NC State before you get anywhere. You got to prove it to me because they are – they're lagging. They're lagging way behind. And there's there's other programs in the ACC that are going to chase them. So transitioning back to the highlights and stuff, how many takes does it take? How many takes do you have whenever you do your highlights? So the and how many between, Red Bulls do you have? <laughs> I'm sponsored by Red Bull. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's 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 different. So the NBL and the NBA are totally different approaches to work i i I do them differently with an nba top 10 i get the highlight and i have to turn that sucker around quickly like 10 minutes quickly so i get the plays and i write down some notes and i go i go super quick and so i have to roll with that in a different way the nbl highlight i'll get one day and i can i can get it back to them a couple days later so i can really finesse that and really uh work on that um the nba top 10 
I'd like to say I do it every time in one take. It's not that way. It used to be that way more. Uh, but now that I've gotten more ridiculous with what I've saying, I mean, just absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. It is a little more complex, but I would say more than half one take. Uh, and if I get past two takes, I've lost my mind. I'm just, yeah. I'm so annoyed. I'm so frustrated. <laughs> and then it devolves into a, a world of madness. But yeah, usually, usually one take, if not that, two takes. And if it gets to three takes, I'm, I'm, you know, throwing things the wall so so the uh the rhymes you do and the stuff you say is that scripted like do you think of that before you just you roll with some it. of it some of it i think okay. there's an article so the kenyan literary review is like some esteemed literary review magazine and they did a, a blurb on me which is the it was weird it was like almost <laughs> yeah. bracing uh like why in the world are they talking about me but um they think i have something called clanging which is a mental condition where everything rhymes in my head. Uh, and that may be true. Uh, my wife could probably attest to that, that everything I say wandering around, if I want to go that way, can. So I almost consciously don't do that. Okay. Uh, and, and my understanding of it is that it, like, if they had the rap Olympics, I would be disqualified for steroids, basically, because I have that condition. <laughs> it's like Rain Man counting cards. Like, I can do that in my head. But um, so, yeah, some of it is. And some of it is like my day-to-day -day experience. Like, if I walk around and I see something, and like, I, I've seen Larry David, the guy from Curve Your Enthusiasm, say he walks around with a notebook. I'm not like that. But if I see something that I really think, oh, that could fit in with the top 10, I'll try to make a note of it during the day. And that might not get into a top 10 for six months, mm -hmm. but when it does, uh, I'll give you an example. I heard the old song, uh, Naughty by Nature. I give props to hip hop, so hip hop hooray. And I heard, I give props to Chris Stops, so Chris Stops <laughs> hooray. In my oh, head, yeah. I heard that. And then I made a note of it. And I think Chris Stops was out for the season at that point. And, but okay. I, I saved it for when he finally came back. <laughs> yeah, so stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like it could cook for a year like that. But so if I hear stuff like that, I'll make a note of it for sure. What's your favorite rhyme? Oof. My favorite top 10 that I ever did is I think it's either May 1st or May 3rd, 2016. And it's, it's probably a top five. And the number one play was a Hawks dunk. And it was... I think, honestly, I think that top five is the one that changed everything. I really do. I think that's the one that got this whole train on the tracks. And I remember walking out of the booth and there were like everybody that's in the entire NBA newsroom, if they're tuned in, can track what I'm saying. And so I got out of the booth and people were like legitimately excited about what I said in there. Um, and I think... What was it? I I uh, I borrowed from Jay Z and Kanye West on a song. So if you look it up, I I don't. I it's it's either May first or May third, two thousand sixteen. You'll see what I did, and I that's where it all changed. I really believe that's where everything changed. Okay, that's actually a really cool story. I was watching a few of those top tens before the interview, like last night, and um, I gotta say, my favorite one you did that I've heard so far was when Alonzo Trier dunked on Torian Prince. And you're like, 
Alonzo's Gonzo soaring over Torian or something like that. <laughs> soaring over Torian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great one. So I thought that, that, was a great that stuff, you know, what's funny is that stuff is more off the cuff. Okay. Uh, like I'll, and look, I'm, I'm no expert. Let's be, let's be very, very honest. There are people that do that for a living. They're experts. But like, if you hear that in your head, it just works and you go with it. And like, there are times where I'll say something and I'm like, well, I'm going to get roasted for that. That's just <laughs> flat ridiculous. Reddit's and, not going to like uh, that. Those are the ones that, yeah, Reddit's going to hate me for that. But those are the ones that tend to go over the best. The ones where I'm like, I shouldn't have said that are the generally the ones that go over the best, okay. which is the weirdest thing because basically the, the indication is just be more ridiculous, Bo. Just be more insane and it'll do better. <laughs> Okay, so is it ever awkward? There's a clear difference when other people do the top 10 and the likes on YouTube. I'm sure you see it. But is it ever awkward yeah. with the other people? No, it's not awkward because we don't talk about it. Okay. Um, and it's Here's the thing. Like, there are people that are really talented that do this. And here's, here's what I think. Is they... I don't want them to feel like they need to do the things that I do, right? Mm -hmm. Just call the darn top 10 uh, <laughs> because, you know, they're very talented. They don't need to do the ridiculous thing that I do. Uh, so, but it's, so it's not, it's not awkward. Uh, and, you know, for some of the guys, they all joke about it, right? Like they joke about what I do and everybody trying to, like there's a guy named Matt D'Agostino who's really talented and they started calling him the Goodman-tator. And we had a great time with that. We had an absolutely great time with that. And Matt's a guy who could do this job and do it wonderfully, but he has a different style. And, you know, I, I appreciate that because like, look, you know, the worst thing you could do is come up and try to, say the stupid rhymes that i say because it's you know the that comment section has already voted right and mm -hmm. you know for better or worse it's for me and to try to copy that is i don't think that's going to go over well so i think you know i think they're smart i think all those other announcers are smart and talented for for doing it the way they do it and using their own style okay all that right. makes a lot of sense that's a good answer all right so we have, a, we have one question. Connor, you want to take it? Yeah. So, obviously, <laughs> you've done the NBA Top 10 and everything like that. You're a great announcer. How much money would it take for you to call a Top 10 for a rec pickup game at a Mormon church basketball gym? <laughs> Just, you know, hypothetically, if me and Carter played that, you know. Perfectly hypothetically in, in a while. No, uh, what's funny is that are you guys familiar with uh cameo yes. like yes. the book cameo stuff yes i've talked to them and about doing that but what i would do is i would do top tens for anybody little league any league that ever wanted me to do it i would do it for them uh you're gonna have to provide names you're gonna have to provide pronunciations because i don't think people want me to go hey carter it's great seeing you happy birthday that'll be 100 bucks <laughs> i i think you know if people want me they're gonna want me to do the character they're gonna want me to do the top 10 guy so um i'm negotiable i'll put it that way i'm negotiable okay, but i am there we go. you're gonna see a lot more different stuff you're gonna see a lot more different stuff coming out uh soon uh you know beyond the nbl there's gonna be more a, a team has asked me to do their year in top 10 
Um, another organization is having me do their top 10. Uh, so it's, it's coming. And like, I don't know how much of this I can take on, honestly, because I'll probably <laughs> drive myself crazy. Yeah. But like, uh, I, you know, if book cameo, if we can work something out, I may, I may end up doing that. So like, if you have an eight year old little league team that just won the championship, I would do that. It, it, to me, honestly, that would almost be more fun because it would be a different challenge the nba thing i sort of know and i can get in a rhythm and you could stick a shot sheet in front of me and i could probably just do it have you ever been interested in doing play-by-play i do some play-by-play um it's for aau in the summertime i do some of that um and that's a lot of fun man that's a lot of fun i'd love to do more play-by-play if it if it if it comes up i would do it for sure um, I wouldn't want to take away from my NBA stuff as it is, uh, you know, but if a good play-by-play opportunity came along, I would definitely jump on it. I really would. Um, I fear that fans would want me to rhyme an entire four quarters of basketball, but, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that's possible, but I, I would love to, uh, I would love to do that. And I think getting to see the game in person is a different experience. I get to go to games from time to time uh, and it's a lot of fun and it's a different experience than Bo in a studio alone with a shot sheet after having watched a game. Uh, You get closer to the game that way. And so I would love it. Um, And yeah, I I would listen if a college called me or, you know, heck if an NBA team called me for radio or something like that, I would definitely listen. So kind of going off that, if you, you might not have somebody on the top of your head, but if I if I asked you like who's somebody that had a big influence on you getting into this field or somebody you kind of look up to or got influence from, do you have somebody in mind? A hundred percent. So my college thesis was how does a sportscaster inject personality into his broadcast? Now this is a million years ago. And so the guy that at that time, and you guys might not even know the name, is Craig Kilborn was this absolute star oh, on yeah. ESPN. He was at the guy for ESPN Sports Center, and everybody loved Craig Kilborn. And so the way he called highlights, I rem- I actually remember uh, a call he had on ESPN. It was a Clippers versus Lakers game, and he called Shaq Shaq Fu. And he loved Pooh Richardson. And so Pooh Richardson got the ball stolen from him. He goes, uh, and he said, stolen from Pooh, two on two, but one of those two happens to be Foo. And it was a Shaquille O'Neal dunk. And he did that. And it was just brilliant. And I was just like, oh, my God. And later, I was lucky enough to to meet Craig. Uh, He invited us up to his place uh, one night to watch a basketball game. And he's, he's as funny in person as he was on the late night shows. And he's one of those guys that, you know, you always say, if I, if I made a bunch of money, I'd just retire. He did it. He's one of the guys that just, yeah. he just said, forget it. I'm done. I'm absolutely done. So yeah, he, he was, especially early on, he was a guy that I thought if I could do something similar to him and, and enter, basically the idea is to entertain people in that, that way, use sports as a vehicle to put a smile on somebody's face. I would want to do that. What do I have to do to get you and Ray Hudson to call a soccer game? Oh, my <laughs> idol. Ray Hudson is my idol. Oh, my God. I the world does not get him. enough Ray Hudson. 
Oh, and I'm telling you, ESPN is going to screw this up. Yes. I, you know, I, yes. I love ESPN and I've got friends that work there, but God, please hire Ray Hudson. Please. I'm sorry, Taylor Twelman, but it, Ray Hudson is La Liga. He has to be the voice of their La Liga. He has to be. Uh, if you've watched La Liga from Goal TV through BN Sports, oh, yeah. uh, he and Phil Shane and Phil Shane, Phil Shane's never going to get enough credit. Phil Shane I actually talked to Phil gonna, Shane last week. Awesome guy. Uh, and I'm going to tell you right now, Phil Shane is never going to get enough credit. Phil Shane is sort of like Ernie Johnson to Charles Barkley. He's the straight man. He keeps you on, he keeps the train on his track. He gets you the details, but Ray is his personality is from another planet. I mean, the, the stuff he says, if you just Google Ray Hudson, Messi or Ray Hudson, La Liga, there was a time Tom Cruise was in attendance at a Real Madrid game. Those <laughs> clips are on YouTube and it's one of the funniest things you'll ever see in your life. Uh, Ray Hudson is a, is a poet. He's just an absolute, absolute joy to listen to. And I hope, please, ESPN, please hire the man. I'm really, really all aboard the Ray Hudson Express at ESPN. <laughs> what about my sweet Bill Walton? Would you do a game with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just for the experience because oh man, I feel like it will run a train off a track in a hurry with, <laughs> with my brain. And I think the two of us together would end up somewhere in a cave below the earth. Just we would go <laughs> off the track so far. Uh, I am I am constantly entertained by what he says and the the tangents that guy can go on. It's just it's just ridiculous, you, but it's fun. Did you catch that Carolina game last season when they were in Asheville when he called it? Yeah, that was a that was one of his best. I thought he was yeah. just talking about Asheville, the city, just nothing about the game. It was hilarious. Well, you know what's funny to me is that if you look at the online comments. There are people that love Bill, and there are people that hate Bill, uh, that want him to just talk about the game. You do not hire Bill Walton to just talk about the game. You hire him to be Bill Walton. Exactly. Uh, and if, if, if you're comfortable with Bill Walton being Bill Walton and you like the product he delivers, you hire him. I enjoy him on those late-night uh, Pac-12 games. Love him. Conference of Champions, the whole UCLA stuff. Hilarious. Uh but I'm a guy, again, you know, going back to my college thesis, I want to see some personality in a broadcast. I really do. Uh, you know, there are people that want a straight call, just a straight call. Here's the score. Here's the leading score. Here are the trends in the game. Here's the, you know, analytics viewpoint of it. And that's that. And that's fine if that's what you want. Uh, and I think in the future, you'll be offered several different versions of a broadcast. Uh I'll be choosing the Ray Hudson, Bill Walton broadcast, though. That'd be Thank what you. I'll be picking. Oh, yeah. Because I want right. to have fun. Sports to me are about fun. That's that's the bottom line. If I'm not having fun, why are we doing this? Exactly. exactly. It's, it's almost like if you don't want to hear any personality, then just watch the game and put it on mute. Like, honestly. But Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't, Absolutely. And I also so, don't like, understand. I, I, I'm sorry to go back. Sorry to interrupt. But why don't, like, the NBA Finals do their home com – or not, like – Every sport should do their home commentators, no matter what, on a national broadcast, I feel like. Do you want to know why? Because, you, well, you know how college football does it, right? With ESPN, yeah, they yeah. have all those separate ones, but why? So the first round of the NBA playoffs, the, the 
home broadcast. So the Hawks, when they were in the first round, Bob Brathbin and Dominique Wilkins were also on local TV doing the game. But uh, ratings are so crucial right now, right? Because that's how uh, that's how the players get paid. That's how the broadcasters get paid. That's how everybody gets paid. That the amount of people that are watching that home broadcast takes away from the overall national number and thus reduces the ad buys that are on the national television. So if the Phoenix Suns commentators and the Milwaukee Bucks commentators were doing the game, enough people would go to those broadcasts that it would affect the number. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then it would it would just it would just hurt uh the revenue for uh ABC, ESPN and in the end it would hurt the revenue for the league and the players themselves. Are you worried about this ratings dip? No. No, uh, I, I think the reality is you can call it a ratings dip, but I just think people are watching the game differently. And so how you reach those fans, uh, because some of the fans are watching on Twitter. Some of the fans are watching streaming, which doesn't count as part of the rating. So, you know, fans are watching in just different ways. I don't think here's the bottom line. Are people less interested in NBA basketball than they were 10 years ago? I don't think so. I just think it's how do you reach those fans? Uh, and how do you, you know, in, in the, the ugly business term, how do you monetize that experience? And so if you get that right, and it's going to take some work, and it's going to take some really smart people figuring that out. And I think there's really smart people doing that, particularly where I work at Turner Sports, uh, that I think, uh, you know, it'll figure out. But it's one of those things that's just new, right? And we've, we've got to go through that process. I'm old enough to remember when Michael Jordan retired and the NBA ratings took a big dip. And will we ever get back to Michael Jordan level? Because look, here's the reality. I, to me, Michael Jordan's the greatest player ever, but set that aside. The interest in that one player in the 90s versus everybody else was different than it is now with one player. There's no one guy that carries the NBA like Michael Jordan carried it then, which is better for the NBA, frankly, as a business model, but Michael Jordan rated like nobody else does. So um, figuring all that out and, you know, the league adjusted when Michael Jordan left and LeBron came along and Steph came along. I think, I think they'll figure it out. And I think, I think it'll be fine. I just think it takes some time to figure that out. I agree. And just going off what you said, I don't, I don't think the popularity is down. I think people just watch it in different ways. And even on social media, Twitter's huge now, you know, Instagram still, there's still a lot of engagement. So I don't think basketball itself is becoming less popular. It's just, they need to figure out a way to measure, you know, other ways of people watching it or engaging. And think about this, what the NBA has done with league passes, they've invited a guy like Nate Duncan on to literally on league pass to watch along with Nate. Now, if, if they're doing that in a national game, let's say 2,000 people watch Nate. Let's say 5,000 people watch Nate. We're, we're real hardcore fans. That's still at some level going to hit the rating. And there are people that are watching on Twitch. There are people that are doing those watch parties. It's all going to hit the rating a bit. So figuring all that stuff out is the next challenge. Thankfully, it's a challenge that's not my job. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, I, I think they'll tackle it. You know, I've got, I've got good friends that are, that are dealing with that and it's, it's tough, but it's, it's something I think they're on top of. Okay. So let's talk about the NBA finals for, for a quick minute. Chris Paul, if they win the finals, where does he rank among the all-time greats and point guards? So here's where it's tough for me. 
Chris Paul has never won an MVP, right? Steve Nash, baby. Steve Nash has won two of them. Uh, Steph Curry has won two of them. Magic Johnson has won one or more. I think I think it's probably more. Uh, to me, Magic is going to be number one all time. And, and so just set that aside. I think that's that's probably pretty safe. The, the 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 discussion between two, three, and four is really interesting to me because I think Steph Curry's in that discussion. I think Oscar Robertson's in that discussion. Uh, and maybe that's the discussion between two and three. Then you get down to Steve Nash, John Stockton, and that's where Chris Paul's sort of starting to creep into. Especially, you know, he may win an NBA Finals MVP here. He has obviously changed the trajectory of this franchise. So I think he's going to be on the edge of that top five, uh, he's never going to be one or two to me. He's never, he's not passing Magic Johnson. Obviously. I don't think he's passing Steph Curry. Honestly, I don't think he's passing Oscar Robertson, honestly. So if you want to get into the Steve Nash, uh, John Stockton and my God, guys, if you haven't looked up John Stockton's assist record, that's flat untouchable. What that, the numbers that guy put up crazy. So I think, I think, He's in that five, four, five, Isaiah Thomas. He's in that area. That's, that's probably where you would uh, slide him. And the thing he's got going for him, much like LeBron, LeBron to me is perimeter Kareem, a long career with some successes, some failures at the top level, but immense stats, just a long, healthy career with an immense accumulation of stats and to me, LeBron's the greatest player of his generation. But I, and and so that's where it's tough for me because I don't think all time you say take away the point guard position, just any position. He's surely not in the top ten. Chris Paul's not. I don't think no. for my money. No, I agree. Thirty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I think yeah, I think you're probably there, top twenty five, top thirty. But it's still that's even tough because if you really play that out, is he as good as Kevin Durant? I don't think so. I, I certainly don't think so. So there's there's a lot of guys in front of him on that line. But I don't want to take anything away from what he accomplished, especially at this age. At this age, to take over that team, to change the vibe there and give Monty Williams and James Jones some credit there too. I just, I just think what he's done is truly special. So on the topic of the finals, I know the Suns are up 2-0 right now, but like, can I get a prediction? What do you think is going to – how do you think it's going to play out? Well, it's hard to predict against a team that's up 2-0, right? The yeah. math says they're going to win it. But I, I do think what happened with the Bucks to me is that Giannis got hurt. They figured out how to play without Giannis, and they had some good flow to their offense, and things were working well with Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez and Drew Holiday. And Giannis comes back, and he's obviously the best player on the team, and the ball goes to him. And they lose a little bit of that flow, even though Giannis is clearly the best player on the court for either team. So I think if they can sort of mesh that together, some of that style that they used after Giannis went down uh, to beat the Hawks with Giannis being dominant in what was it? 40 points, 12 rebounds last night, something like that. um, I think I expect them to win the next game. I do. I expect them to go back to Milwaukee and win the next game from there is where it's getting, it gets interesting. I think, you know, game four is going to be crucial because say the bucks win game three, if they win game four, then I don't know what's happening uh, because that would mean the momentum would all be on the buck side. They would have figured out the Suns, but to me, the Suns are just tough to figure out their offensive execution is 
nearly flawless really and they're is. great defensively and they've got they've got like players that are underrated guys like bridges uh deandre and took a lot of the guff for being you know not luka Doncic and not trey young well the numbers he's putting up uh in the playoffs are worthy of a number one pick in the draft uh so i i think that the suns have really put together a solid team that executes well and can win an NBA championship. I think the discussion we're all going to have on NBA Twitter is if they win the title, are they your Western conference favorites next year? That'd be interesting to me. Yeah. They, and the, well, they do keep Frank Kaminsky next year. So they, I think they might win it. Important. Yep. No nope, <laughs> well, critical, critical to their success. I think that's a good point, Carter. The thing on Twitter I always see is people are talking about the Suns had an easy path to the ring. You know, LeBron was hobbled. AD got hurt. Jamal Murray towards ACL. People are saying they had an easy path. Kawhi's yep. out. What do you think about that? Like, yep. obviously, the ring's still valid, but. The ring's certainly still valid. I don't believe in asterisks for NBA championships, but I do believe in context. I mean, I do believe you tell the story. And is it tougher for the Suns if LeBron and AD are perfectly healthy? Yes. Is it tougher for the Suns if Jamal Murray's completely healthy? Yes. Is it tougher for the Suns if Kawhi Leonard is healthy? Yes. Is it tougher for the Suns if Giannis hadn't just hyperextended his knee? Yes. So all of that is true. It doesn't mean that they didn't line up and beat the team that was in front of them, and that's their only job. So to me, there's no asterisk on it, but you can tell the story. You know, yeah. the, the the Golden State Warriors caught a break when Kawhi Leonard got hurt. The Spurs looked like they were in position to beat that team. I don't know that they would have, but you can tell that story. You certainly can. So there's 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 all sorts of context you can tell. And half the battle is staying healthy, anyways. I think throughout the playoff runs, like Seth Partnow made a good point, and he he said, "Not getting injured is good luck." Uh, and I think I think that's really true. But even the, the Suns remember in that first series against the Lakers. Chris Paul was banged up a bit mm -hmm. and they still managed to get it done. So I think, I think the least injured team this year, the team with their most games played by their all-stars is probably going to be the Suns, And that probably helps them. That, that really does. All right. So last question, and then we'll let you go. Tell us about the sports business classroom and what it's all about. So the sports business classroom is an opportunity for people that want to break into the business of basketball to learn in, in a series of disciplines. If you want to learn about the salary cap, we've got the absolute guru, the, the guy that teams come to in Larry Kuhn to learn about the scouting, uh, the, the salary cap. We have scouting and analytics. Dave DeFore of The Athletic runs that. He brings in several NBA scouts to teach students one-on-one -on -one how to produce an actual game report for a player, uh, and they, they will work with you. Uh, I run the media and broadcasting department. We will have several NBA broadcasters in to talk to students and work with students. And, and here's the thing I want to stress about the, the media and broadcasting department. A lot of people, broadcasting has changed, right? There are a lot of people that use their media profile to get a job in basketball. Um, we have a guy named Jeff Siegel who put together early bird rights. It was so successful, him using that media. He's got a job with Clutch Sports now as their salary cap guy. So all of these programs happen over the course of the NBA Summer League, right? So you're right there 
firsthand experience with the players, with the GMs, with the owners, with everybody in the league. Uh, you're putting your face in front of them and you're getting to meet them. So it's just a wonderful opportunity for students to get a leg up on the competition and, and have an opportunity to break into the business of basketball. We have two SBC graduates that are general managers of G League teams right now. We have several SBC graduates that are working with NBA teams right now. So it's it's I I've only been involved. This is my third year of involvement, and I've been blown away by the experience. And it, you know, it's something that I love. I don't frankly, I, I get I make more money working with the NBA, right? <laughs> uh, but it's it's something that's a passion for me is is teaching these kids. And they're not all kids. And frankly, they're all smarter than I am. I mean, we get a lot of Harvard lawyers coming in there uh, wanting to learn to be agents. It's just really bright, bright minds that are that are trying to get into the business of basketball. And it's a joy to help them realize their dreams. Is it remote? No, this year we are in Las Vegas in person. You'll be staying in a hotel room. You'll be coming uh, to the arena, watching the game, scouting in person with NBA scouts, uh, you know, during the media and broadcast program, we will have you on during a live play-by-play. You'll do, be doing analysis of the game itself. There will be a game. You will be the analyst with a play-by-play person live at an NBA game. So it's just, it's, it's so much fun. It's a lot of fun for me as a broadcaster to see those nerves and then see that moment when they take the microphone off and are absolutely thrilled and they don't want to take the microphone off once they get rolling everybody wants to keep going so that's that's a lot of fun for me because it takes me back to when i first broke into the business all right connor you have anything else uh i think that's about it i just want to say thank you for coming on this has been a great conversation i really appreciate it we both do no guys it's my pleasure i I really appreciate you guys having me on uh i'm always always thrilled to talk about basketball uh, in the NBA, and I'm glad there's just so many fans out there right now. Hey, thanks again. It was a blast. Go follow your Twitter at NBA Bo. Bo, thank you so much. The Take Goat Mentator. <laughs> See you guys later. Thanks for listening to this very special episode with the Goat Mentator himself, Bo Essies. That was easily the most fun interview we've done yet. I want to thank Bo again for coming on. I could have easily done three hours. It was so good. So going forward, it'll be Connor and I together on almost all of these podcasts. So go make sure to follow him on Twitter as well, at Connor underscore Sparrow. We will continue to have an episode coming out each week, and the website should be up soon. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and I'll see you all next week. Bye.